Test one, two. Hello, it's Steven, your friendly neighborhood anesthesiologist, host of the Black Doctors podcast. Thank you for joining us for another episode this week. So excited to share the news. We were entered in a contest hosted by the Signal Awards. They kind of rank podcasts and we earned a silver finish. So I guess second place in the 2022 category for health and wellness. This award is for shows that examine health and wellness, including mental and emotional health, fitness, nutrition, sleep, meditation, conventional or alternative medicine. So that was a bit of unexpected surprise. Pretty big deal. Grateful to you for listening and for your support. I am working to, you know, get some new voices and we're going to be lining up some pretty incredible interviews for later on in this month and later on in season seven. But I was talking with Dr. Nee Darko, host of the Docs Outside the Box podcast. He kind of challenged me to continue to share, I guess, my own stories and just talk. I usually hide behind the guests that I have on the show and I don't really share much about my life or my experiences. And so this episode, I'm going to share my experiences as a black man in medicine. So I've been hesitant to really dive too deep. Like I I enjoy telling people stories and the things that they overcame along the way. But I've been hesitant to do kind of trauma porn. Like we all have like our experiences of being called outside of our name or discriminated against. And that's available in so many other venues. I didn't really want this show to be that every week you tune in and hear about the struggles of black people and brown people in healthcare. I tried to maintain mostly a positive vein with all the episodes thus far and uplifting and things that people could incorporate into their lives and, and, and work from. But this episode will be a little different. I'm going to talk about some of the things I've experienced. My hope is, you know, people also have that kind of concept that we're comparing struggles. I, I am not comparing my struggle to anybody else's. We all have our own lives, our own obstacles. We have to overcome our own struggles. And it's inappropriate to really try and compare those two. Some people feel are blessed then because they didn't grow up in government housing or have to, you know, rummage through dumpsters to find food. And, you know, that, that's, you know, you don't need to compare your struggle to somebody else's. Be grateful for your own story. And I'm very much grateful for the things that I have experienced and grateful for the things I have not experienced. So I say, I'll say it's not my intention to compare my struggle to anybody else's. It's not my intention to say, you know, woe is me. If anything, I want you as a pre-medical student, as a medical student, as a resident physician, or even attending to identify with some of the things that I've experienced, because I'm sure as an underrepresented minority in medicine, wherever that that is, um, LGBTQ, Black, um, Hispanic or Latin um, woman in medicine, we all have experienced different things and different forms of discrimination, and we've had to overcome. So again, I'm not comparing struggles. I'm not seeking pity, but I hope that some folks will resonate with you. And one, you'll see you know, the things that I overcame. Two, you'll be able to apply this to your life. So as a medical student, when something happens that kind of catches you sideways, and you're wondering, like, was that racist? Was that me? What's going on? This can maybe help you in that decision-making process and, and with how to respond to different events. 
And then finally, for other people, because I've, I'm so thankful that there are people that are not underrepresented minorities that listen to this show. There are, uh, when I was interviewing for fellowships, even some of the folks I interviewed with talked about listening to the show. So faculty members from other institutions of um, graduate medical education or residency program leadership do listen in. So, you know, you may hear some of the experiences of your minoritized medical students and residents, and you can maybe hopefully uh, work to institute changes and ensure these things don't happen. Or maybe you're doing some things that are, are perceived as offensive and you didn't know. So I've said all of these things to say that this is the the reason I'm going to share my experiences as a Black um, man in medicine in the United States. Where should I begin? I guess I should begin at the very beginning. So my first experiences as a Black man in medicine, I you know, was a pre-medical, well, I wasn't pre-medical student. I studied music my first year and then changed to a pre-physical therapy major and had a minor in biology. I was going to kind of a small private liberal arts um, religious affiliated college. And, you know, that's my background, right? My dad was in the Navy. So we grew up kind of a middle-class working family. My mom, stay-at-home mom, the family was very religious, active in the church. So had a fantastic home life, home structure, second oldest child of uh, seven kids. And so I wasn't exposed, however, to anything related to the health sciences. My parents, you know, worked their way through college and they, you know, it was, goes without saying that we were going to go to college as uh, as kids growing up. So I went to college. I liked music. I was studying music. Then I decided to, you know, kind of try and see if I could get into medicine, change my major. So that was kind of the first time, you know, I was all, already like very underrepresented in my college and even more so when I switched into the sciences. So very small network, very small peer group. And, you know, just felt isolated, felt alone. I was able to work with other people when it comes to studying. And, you know, those those students kind of knew what it took to get into medical school or had some other insight that I didn't have. But, you know, whatever, it was college. And I worked hard. I was working part-time and then finishing that and going into a post-bac or a graduate program. In grad school, I was fortunate to meet a fantastic tribe of folks uh, my friends Nadine, Ruan, Kendra, uh, Shabia, Javier, um, and you know, just a diverse group of people that were going to graduate school or applied to medical school. Um, so some of them finished up their PhDs at University of South Florida. Some of us finished up the master's program, went on to medical school. So that was a very good supportive environment that was integral to my ability to even pass that program and continue on to other things. During that program, probably the first time I had a interaction with the police, at least with regards to my medical journey. And it actually wasn't bad. I'd gone down probably an hour south of Tampa for a Super Bowl party. I was watching the game. And it was because I was so tired from studying that I was driving back. And I remember like I was almost falling asleep at the wheel, but it was also like the night of Super Bowl Sunday. So in retrospect, I, you know, I got pulled over because I was like swerving or like hit the rumble strip or whatever. And that officer had pulled me over Everything was fine. He like, you know, asked if I've been drinking. I'm like, no, I, I hadn't been drinking because I honestly had like one beer and that had been like two or three hours before that. I was literally just so tired that I, I couldn't drive straight. And, you know, that that whole traffic stop could have gone a totally different direction. I guess I didn't appear inebriated, although I was I remember being extremely tired. And I remember thinking, like, I don't know how this cop is distinguishing between me being intoxicated or just ridiculously tired. But whatever happened, he let me go. You know, I was wide awake by then, drove home, nothing happened. So that, that was cool. That was, it was what it was. 
mind you, um, I was driving my car that I purchased during my soft or my junior year of college. It was a 1995 Fleetwood Cadillac. If you don't, you Google that. If you don't know what it looks like, it looks like a, a pimp mobile. My car was 18 feet long, um, leather interior. I had vanity mirrors in the backseat of my car. I had four cigarette lighters in that car. I could fit six like grown full size people comfortably. It was it was a fantastic car, but it looks a little sketch, right? It looked like a pimp mobile, white wall tires. Love that car. So next I went to Howard, right? I was in DC and I got pulled over in that car. The reason I, I gave you that mental picture, I got pulled over in that car three times within a one month period when I first moved to DC. And it was because I would be studying late, right? We were doing anatomy lab and I would leave Howard University College of Medicine at one or two in the morning to drive home to Virginia. I was living um, in Northern Virginia. And as I was leaving the, the city, I got pulled over by the police. And, you know, first time it happened, it was, it was fine. They mentioned, uh, I think the first time they didn't have a reason to pull me over. The second time they pulled me over, uh, they cited my tassels, you know, my graduation tassels that were hanging from the rearview mirror. They're like, oh, well, you can't have anything hanging from your rearview mirror. Okay, fine. And the third time I was, I was kind of pissed about, I was like, yeah, you know, why did you pull me over? And then they really didn't have a reason. And it was like, just so obvious that it was a quote unquote suspicious looking car, but you know, nothing bad really happened. It was just a hassle. And it was the irony to me that I am a young black man staying up late in medical school studying and because of, you know the hours of, of the night that I'm going home I look suspicious and people think I'm up to no good and then they, they pull you over so clearly clearly profiling um, all three times in the car at tenant windows so profiled but the officers didn't escalate anything I didn't escalate anything I literally just wanted to get home so nothing really happened in that regards, but you know, it's kind of eye-opening. Like this is the experience, and not to invoke any respectability politics that you know I deserve to be treated differently because I was studying to become a physician. No, you shouldn't be pulling people over and discriminating against people. But, you know, there was there's some minor uh, experiences along the way at Howard. We rotated at a couple of different institutions in D.C., and that was some of the first time experiencing you know outside the shelter of home. As a third year medical student, we rotate with other students from other institutions. That's when you realize like, okay, medicine is a very different place outside the walls of Howard. If you attended a, a predominantly white institution for graduate school or for medical school, then you probably already do. That probably is what it feels like to you. But for a lot of us kids coming from Howard, it was very obvious, you know, you're not in Kansas anymore. And it's interesting because it's interesting because some folks will go to an HBCU for undergrad and then go to an HBCU for medical school. And sometimes the first time they kind of experience life on the outside or PWI is residency or on away rotations. And it can be a bit of a culture shock. It's an adjustment, you know, understandably so. So there are some minor experiences there that, oh, okay, you know, people think I'm arguing when I'm not, or they thought I was angry or labeled me as like, oh, you know, you calm down. It's like, okay, well, I wasn't really upset or mad, but it wasn't anything blatant that happened during medical school. It was mostly just kind of observing and seeing how other people interacted with my classmates. And that was that. So fast. Oh, so then I went on an away rotation to California. It was UC Davis. And everybody kept saying like, oh, you're going to, to Kowtow. And I, I didn't know what that, I didn't know what they were saying. Kowtow. I was like, okay, Kowtow, Kowtow. I just kept hearing that. I'm going to Sacramento, UC Davis, Kowtow. I didn't know what they were saying. 
and I'd, I'd gone to the SNMA conference and I'd received kind of a scholarship program that paid for me to go out to UC Davis for a one month anesthesia rotation. So then I, I got there and I landed, I'm taking this bus and we're going through all these like pastures. And I was like, oh, people were saying Cowtown, like you're in Cowtown. So that was eye opening. And, and actually, I honestly had a really good experience there. Obviously, it was different from Howard. But the the one weird thing was like everybody was fly. Some of the attendees were talking about going fly fishing or hiking, which is something that, you know, I'm not really into fly fishing. But for folks in those situations, you know, it's not racism. It's not being discriminated against. It's just people living their life. And it's very different from what myself or you are accustomed to. So and it's a test for how do you assimilate to your surroundings? How do you continue to communicate, advocate for patients, advocate for your own learning in that environment that it's not hostile, it's just very different. And what I say to students in those situations is like, yeah, you, you can't talk about NASCAR or fly fishing or hiking, parachuting, I don't know. But you can always center on what you're there to learn. If it's uh, anesthesia away, you can focus on learning anesthesia and, and direct the conversation into the thing you should be there for, which is education. Um, for general surgery, talk about surgical stuff because you can unite over that one common bond. Like you don't need to be a expert in fly fishing to match this program. They're going to care about your clinical skills and the interests you showed in the patients. So that wasn't a, a, an issue. It was just different. Let's see the next experience because this is in the residency match program. As I was interviewing, I interviewed at a program in the South. It was in Charleston. South Carolina, like antebellum South, I guess. So this is when I first met my friend, Jen. Jen is, uh, I think she's Vietnamese. We didn't know each other. We were on the interview. And I just remember we're sitting at one of those dinners back when interviews were in person. They have a dinner the night before sometimes. And I was the only black person, right? There was Jen. She's Asian. There's a couple, like everybody else was white appearing, white appearing. So it's not to assume what they're ethnic uh, makeup is. And as they were talking, they were talking about the highlights of the stage and the program and one of their significant others, because you could usually like bring a partner to the dinner. She starts going on and on about how awesome it is because there was like a state holiday for the Confederacy and you get the day off. And I was just like looked around the room, like trying to lock eyes with somebody. The only person that I locked eyes with was Jen, who I didn't know. And I'm like, mm, I don't know if she gets it or not. And uh, found out later, like, like you know, she 100% picked up, you know, everything that, that I was, uh, that I was picking up. So that was, that was dope. And then I went on the interview, you know, just felt very cold. They sent a bus or a van over to pick people up. And like, I legit scrambled because I'm like, I will not be sitting in the back of this just on general principle. And then the interview again was a very different experience because I walked through and I remember one individual high ranking in the program and it was a very antagonistic interview, very, he just grilled me the whole time. And at another point in the interview, I walked past his room and there's a different applicant sitting there. And the conversation was just a complete 180 compared to what I'd experienced. I don't know, you know, maybe they knew each other or there was some other relationship that they were able to form. But anyways, that I don't even think I put that program on, the, on my match list. What else? That was the interview process. So then I ended up matching. I came to the University of Chicago. And honestly, I... We'll always plug University of Chicago. It's a fantastic place to train. You're on the south side. Your patient population is uh, incredibly diverse. Great way to really impact health in the black community, especially on the south side of Chicago. The faculty is all good. I didn't have any problems at the University of Chicago. I will say we, inter we rotated at different institutions. 
and with a different patient population and a whole different set of problems. So when all of a sudden I ended up at a, as an intern at a different hospital, and that's when I had a lot more friction with that patient population that did not look like me, that was quick to assume that, you know, I was a janitor or a patient transport. So I would deal with that, you know, a couple times a week. And during intern year, you know, as interns, you're going to make mistakes. Probably my, I remember three like big mistakes as an intern. And one, I somehow ended up in GI clinic at this other institution. Again, this was not University of Chicago. And I remember that gastroenterologist being like very rude and antagonistic. And I'm there, you know, thinking I'm going to go into anesthesia. I don't know anything about gastrointestinal disease. And all of a sudden, um, seeing patients in clinic about ulcerative colitis. In the back of my head, I'm like, I was not even supposed to be in this clinic in the first place because as an intern, I'm only supposed to be doing wards. So I'm curious, like, like, how did I end up here? At the same time, I'm having some relationship issues with my girlfriend at the time. So I'm distracted. And it was not a good day. And I remember this gastroenterologist just like being all over me. And he was like talking about the diagnosis for Crohn's. And I'm, I'm trying to like look this stuff up on the side. And he made comments like, like, oh, well, you can figure it out. You went to medical school, didn't you? Like he said it just like that. Like you went to medical school, didn't you? I'm like, whoa. And to a point, like there was another attending in there. And like, I would just literally like kind of low-key hide behind him. So I went to dose with this other guy. So that was not a good day. It was a long clinic. I know I made, I was slow. I didn't know how to write a clinic note because I write, I don't see clinic as a intern and going into anesthesia. But I made it through that. Um, my second screw up, in residency or as an intern, you know, like I got paged, I went and evaluated a patient. They were actually having an NSTEMI and I saw it, you know, I, I'd, I'd ordered the EKG, I'd ordered the proponents, I did everything that I needed to do. But, and it was like, you know, I was on night float. So it would have been like an hour or two hours before I turned over to day team when all, you know, I, I saw the patient put in the testing, lab work, yada, yada. And didn't fully make the diagnosis, but I put the stuff in process so that the day team when they came in had everything to be like, oh, okay, this is an instemi and they initiated treatment. But, you know, I probably delayed care by an hour or two hours. That was not ideal. And I think I can't remember the third, the third thing that I did. Oh, there was a patient who, again, we would go from like a very high acuity academic hospital to a much lower acuity hospital throughout intern year. And so, I would, you know, feel like I was hot stuff coming from this huge academic hospital. And I had to deal with the hospitalist who wanted to like admit and work up. Um, there was two patients, one who she was black. And I said that because we connected, we talked. She was just like, yeah, I don't know why you guys are doing all, all these tests. My, you know, I got lightheaded and then I, I leaned over a desk and my chest hurts from leaning on the desk. It was like, it was like musculoskeletal pain from like leaning on a desk. But we were doing this whole like ultra mental status workup and heart. And I was just like, yo, listen to the patient. Like she's, she's telling you like everything was fine. So they, the attending didn't like that I was too uh, relaxed. And then the next patient right behind him was another person who I'd worked up before when I was actually rotating on cardiology at this hospital. And this person had like kind of a psychiatric condition and was, was like hypochondriac, but what, what like a revolving door coming into the hospital complaining of chest pain. He had some psych diagnosis, like we worked up the heart problem before, like multiple times, nothing, nothing, nothing. It was like anxiety. And so this person came back again and same thing. I was like, oh, I know this person is no big deal. But of course the attending was like, oh, 
Bradley doesn't take this stuff seriously. So all that was said and done. I thought I still thought I was doing okay in residency. And I remember getting called. This is a uh, post night float and around the Christmas uh, or like in the middle of December ish. Uh, or I get an email from the kind of pro director for like the internship up there in the medicine department. It's like, oh, can you meet? I'm like, okay, well, clearly like there's some issues. So post night float, I go up to this meeting and then it's the pro director. It is one of the chief residents. And then they look at me and like, okay, hey, do you know what you're here for? I'm like, why are you asking me, you know, in my head? I'm like, why are you asking me what I'm here for? Clearly you guys brought me here for a reason. So let, let's, let's get it popping. Um, I was like, no, you know, let's, let's talk about it. So then they start with the questions like, oh, did you struggle in school before? Did you struggle with board exams? We saw you went to Howard. Um, were there any issues um, working with this increased caseload? And there's just this question after question after question. And it's like, oh, there's been concerns from different attendings about your performance. And I was like, oh, well, you know, no, I haven't struggled before. I think it's just the um, transition from, you know, large academic medical center to this, you know, kind of smaller more community program. And then they were like, got a little defensive. They're like, oh, well, it's a different, it's a different type of medicine you're practicing there versus here. And I was like, well, no, you know, we're like, what am I supposed to say? Yeah, it's a different type of medicine. Like, yeah, those patients down here in Chicago are so sick that the floor patients would be in the ICU at this hospital. But sure, I, you know, I, I had a little bit of sense that was like, hey, let's not, um, you know, crap on these, these this hospital's uh, acuity. So then I said, I, I think I know which you know, attending you're talking about. Um, I did have a pretty bad day in GI clinic with Dr. So-and-so. And, you know, it wasn't a good day. I was very distracted. You know, I'm not really familiar with, you know, gastroenterology and it was, was not a good day. And this uh, program director was like, yeah, that person was one of the ones that complained. Um, actually he said, uh, you know, pointed you out the other day and said, and said, I think we made a mistake with that one. And now I was like sitting there like, yo, did you just say that? Like, this is a direct quote. The direct quote that came out of this person's mouth was that this physician said, I think we made a mistake with that one. Like the irony, like I almost fell out of my seat because the irony is I was a categorical anesthesiology residency or a resident. So, you know, the internal medicine program that and other folks that we rotated through, right? We rotated through internal medicine at University of Chicago and at other hospitals and on other services. They didn't pick me for residency. So I was like, yo, what, what in the world is going on? Um, and qu quickly I realized like, yo, I am beat. Like there is no, I'm not going to win this situation. So I just, you know, turned my, my tone around. It's like, okay, well, I'm sorry. You know, I could do better. What, you know, and they're like, oh, how can we help you? I was like, oh, well, I just need, I, you know, I was like, you know, I passed, I'd even pass step three. Like, like part of the reason yeah, I, I'd pass step three, like what, like there's nothing much you could do, but I was just very contrite and you're like, okay, well let's change your schedule around. So then without like telling me they, they legit changed my, the rest of my, my year schedule around. So I missed vacation. I worked, it was a whole thing. Um, but at that time, what was important to me was just to suck it up and get through that portion of intern year. That's what happened. I ended up, you know, finishing out my rotations at that hospital. Later on, you know, I worked with some seniors because not everybody knew. They just knew on the schedule that, oh, they swapped Bradley for, you know, they swapped me with some stronger interns, right? The people going into medicine. And so the senior residents didn't know the details of the swap. And, um, you know, at the end of that, they were like kind of surprised. I waited till the end where I proved myself that I was okay clinically. 
and then kind of talked about the situation. And then that resident was like, oh, no, you're great. And I don't know what was going on. So I felt like that kind of redeemed myself. But I'm not a crappy clinician. But it was a whole situation during internship. And the thing I realized is that um, these folks at these programs are keeping track of the things that you do wrong. And you may not know that going into this situation that they're watching you or somebody's watching you. And everything that you do wrong is being documented because there was plenty of other people in that intern class that were horrible, horrible. There was one person that would come late to sign out. By late, it was like 15 to 17 minutes late. Like sign out is over. And your your co-intern picked up your patients so that the night flight person could leave. And there was all types of, like I could, the stories that I knew about people that were doing kind of subpar, that were subpar interns, but, you know, I got picked out. So it was pretty obvious, like, okay, this is what's up. But I figured it out early enough to pick up on it and just suck it up and, and get through. Right at that time was when the good Lord, fate, serendipity, whatever, put some mentors in right in, right in place. Um, one being Dr. Um, Bill McDade, who's remained a good friend and mentor to this day. And I remember as I had gone back to the University of Chicago and... I wasn't with anesthesia, but I ran into him like in, in the PACU and he knew I was an anesthesia intern. So he's like, oh, hey, how's intern year going? And I was like, yeah, you know, it's fine. Everything's fine. And I was just going to kind of blow everything off and and act like it. I was like, well, actually, no, um, I ran into a little bit of trouble at this other hospital. And then that's what he was like. Yeah, I heard about that because people always be knowing. Right. So he wanted to to help, essentially. So we talked and um, he gave me some good advice and talked about ways to get through things. So definitely, you know, mentorship can really help you through if you get caught in a bind. But a lot of it is realizing it early enough to avoid um, getting stuck. So that was the uh, internship. And it was really uh, an eye-opening experience to me to see how the system works. You know, there's research. Um, actually, Dr. McDade himself worked on a paper that talks about how Black residents are dismissed from residency program. I think it's specific to anesthesia. I'm sure it can be extrapolated to multiple programs at a higher rate than other residents, which is crazy because black residents only make up like five or six percent of residents depending on the specialty. So severely underrepresented in, in graduate medical education, but severely um, over uh, overrepresented in dismissals. So something to be to to know about. I know uh, I'm talking with Dr. Carson, James Carson is an orthopedic surgeon down in Texas, and some others. I think there's a whole orthopedic surgery group out there that that can help um, residents if they're getting into trouble. And for current residents or medical students, you know, just find that mentorship, somebody you can run things by and get that advice before you um, get into too much trouble and it's not recoverable or it's at least harder to recover from. Wrapping up, yeah, so finally, you know, I, I make it through intern year. I'm doing anesthesia residency. And and again, everything was fine. University of Chicago was a great place to train. No problems there. I'm back rotating because again, we rotated at different hospitals. So there is one attending just, oh my God. Every time we worked together, this person, uh, she would, every time we, we worked together, she would call me bro, nonstop, all day in the OR. Bro, hey bro, do you want break? Do you want a break, bro? Hey bro, so what do you, and I was just like, wow, this is so weird. And I, we had a group chat for all of my co-residents and I, I jumped in the group chat. I'm like, yo, does Dr. So-and-so call you bro? And they're like, no, that's weird. I'm like, yo, why did she call me? She calls me bro all day. But at that point, you know, for me, it was, again, I just kept my head down. 
like fine she's not calling there's worse things you can call me number one number two you know we don't always work with the same attendings every day in anesthesia so i just fingers crossed that i didn't have to work with her and occasionally there was times that i would be able to switch with co-residents so i could work with somebody else so that was it it was it was crazy. i'm saying all day it just be bro this bro that bro this and then uh the icing on the cake was when i put in a spinal for a patient and this is tending yells out in the OR, whoop there it is and <laughs> like i wish you know i have these like out-of-body experiences where i i would like be looking down at myself but like yo like you may wonder how i ended up here and uh i was just like i can't believe that she is saying these things and she thinks this is okay. But again, I was more so worried about uh, if I spoke up, I would be retaliated against and evaluations can be very subjective. So that one, I never escalated, but you know, it didn't get to the point that I, I felt like I was overly burdened, but people will try you, make sure you have the right outlets and the right proof and evidence and support systems. If it's something that you want to speak up against and, and and pursue so yeah that, that's kind of mostly been my experiences as a black man in medicine throughout the educational and training pipelines curious to hear your all respective uh, experiences i will try to update that uh past mic link you can go to the website www.theblackdaughterspodcast.com click on past the mic and you can share your story or experiences as an underrepresented minority in medicine and then at a future episode we can pull those and like we can have stories you know you can de-identify them if you want unless your voice is like really distinct i guess i can even change your voice if you want so um yeah if you want to share your story visit the website www.theblackdarkspodcast.com and uh hit the pass the mic button so you can you can share that otherwise i am steven your friendly neighborhood anesthesiologist and host of the Black Daughters podcast. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Hopefully you found it helpful. It was just me being transparent with some of the things that I experienced. It's so tough to you know say, hey, that this exact thing was racism. It's so hard to like pin down that diagnosis because there's oftentimes so many other things like, oh, well, were you performing poorly clinically as an intern? Sure, probably because you know what intern is not performing poorly at some point in internship, but it's so difficult to nail down this diagnosis, but if you see it enough times, you'll you'll start to suspect like yeah, that was probably a little off. So thank you for tuning in. If you like this episode or others like it, you know, a huge catalog of episodes for different specialties. If you want to learn what life is like as a plastic surgeon or as an orthopedic surgeon or as a pediatric cardiologist or a psychiatrist, all those are uh, episodes that we've done before and you can go back through and, and and check those out. Leave a comment, leave a ranking that helps the show grow. Thank you again for your support, helping us win uh, the Silver Prize with the Signal Awards. So that was supposed to be the end of the episode, just documenting and kind of sharing my experiences as a black male physician. And I realized after the fact, I had a little bit of time to think about what I shared. And I realized that it was all kind of the negative things. I didn't really share any of the positive things. So Briefly, um, you know, I just wanted to talk about some of those positive things about being a black physician. You know, it, it really sticks out when you're in that patient's room that looks like you, that identifies, um, you know, as, you know, an older black person looking down at you with such admiration and respect, and they're so proud to meet you. Or, you know, you're dealing with a little black boy or a little black girl, and 
you're able to say, hey, you know, I'm a doctor and you can grow up to do these things. And you really feel like you're doing things outside of just general medicine. You're helping these patients heal, but you're also inspiring them. And like I say on the show, representation matters. You're giving them that inspiration, that representation. And you never know the impact that that one occurrence will have as their life unfolds. I think about all the interactions with patients that don't look like me. And I walk in with my hair locked and facial hair, and and I don't meet their expectations of what a quote-unquote physician looks like. And at the very least, I've had a chance to expand their horizons and change their first impressions and change the way that they they view the world. And and hopefully, you know, for in a positive way, um, just expanding their mindset and educating them. I think about all of the Black attendings that I've been able to work with over the years and be able to kind of model their behaviors, their lifestyles, and and hopefully, you know, giving them some pride as we reconnect. I stay in touch with them over the years just to reach out and be like, oh, hey, you know, this is what I'm doing. And oftentimes they're just so proud to know that the investment that they gave to me, um, I've been able to, um, I guess, live up to those expectations, exceed those expectations, and pay it forward to other people. I think about the times, you know, in at University of Chicago with the other uh, Black residents that I had the pleasure of working with. Um, there's a lot of folks in the internal medicine department from Gray to Dubby to uh, emergency medicine. Rich Benson out of Meharry at the time I went down to the emergency department and stuff was kind of going haywire. And I was, I was a junior resident. I was with my senior resident for a pain consult. And they couldn't figure out kind of the systems level issues. And Rich Benson walked up and was like, yeah, what you do, you just do this and then do that. And then I'll take care of it. Bada boom, bada bing. And like, he just kind of smoothed things over. And I remember my resident kind of asked like, oh, like, how do you know him? I was like, yeah, well, all, all the black residents know each other. It's that sense of community, that sense of family, that we're always there for each other. The residents I worked with in the surgery department, James and Vanessa, Jared, all these folks that are just incredibly awesome. And we had such a, a connection both inside the hospital as well as outside of the hospital. And and Ashley, um, sharing the operating room with uh, Ashley Swa, you know, as we, we started residence, residency together. And now she's uh, finishing up her transplant fellowship. So all of these incredible, incredible memories that I have had along the way, little bits of encouragement. So when you're getting down because you know you've been discriminated against or people thought you were somebody else or you they were outright racist to you you hopefully will have some allies and some folks that you identify with that can help get you through those rough times because honestly it's been such a tremendous blessing to be able to directly influence the care that some patients have working labor and delivery at a hospital that was not incredibly diverse and hearing how the labor and delivery nurses talked about um, you know, the patients, depending on how they looked, it was, oh, is, is your husband, wife, this, that. And then if it was a black appearing uh, couple, it was all of a sudden baby daddy. And I was like, oh, well, why are we changing the verbiage that we're using? Um, why are you talking to these people differently? And being able to advocate for patients that look like us, that are so often marginalized, that so often suffer from healthcare disparities, is a huge benefit of being a black physician, a black male physician, and being in this healthcare field. So I wanted to leave on a positive note. 
Um, thanks for listening. Would love to hear some of your experiences, both good and bad, as a black or minoritized physician working within this healthcare system. Tune in next week to another episode of the Black Doctors Podcast. We're here because representation matters.